The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The one-two pitch, ball line to Yout, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air... Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history. Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center. He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well, and it's gone! Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. The Brewers are moving on on a base hit by Nigel Morgan. Here it is. Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up, get up, get out of here and go for Yelich. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. And me, Adam McGee. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast. Adam, right now, the world is very bad, but the baseball, oh, the baseball, it is very, very good. Uh, I have enjoyed this last week of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Before we get going, how you doing? I'm doing great. Second half is, you know, turned out just, just as I predicted, Andrew. Everything is good with the Brewers, and it's a lot more fun to watch them play baseball. It's a lot more fun to watch just runs, clock up at speed, uh, which is how things have been going of late. And yeah, feel, feeling good about it. Yeah, baseball seasons uh, are have ebbs and flows, and each portion of the season has different vibes. And we've had a lot of different vibes over the first, uh, what month is it? three or four months it's the season is is coming up fast i've played 99 games we've got a trade deadline next tuesday trades have already started andrew benintendi going for the from the kansas city royals to the new york yankees we'll probably talk a little bit more about that later and my early take that i might expand on later is fine the brewers had no place for him um he uh he's also you know over in the al works too yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, 
go play for the Yankees. The modern era of the, of the Yankees are like playoff failures. So I'm not worried about that. They're not going to be in the World Series. Staking my claim to that now. Team with the best record in baseball, not making the World Series. But to your point, this has really been just like a take care of business homestand uh, and one where the bats are hot. And it's been something that's really awesome to see. Adam, I don't know if you had a chance to see this, uh, but Adam McCalvey posted a piece on the Brewers website about this turn the page moment in the Brewers season. And it's one of those things where if it, if they come out of the gates, not hot, it's something that's talked about with derision. And if it, if what happens happened, then it's something that's looked back as a turning point moment. Uh, but five wins on the homestand, they've averaged 8.4 runs per game, and they've drawn 31 walks. He posted an article about a hitters meeting on Friday that was not unlike a lot of hitters meetings. They uh, probably happen before every series. You go and you talk about approach at the plate against certain pitchers, uh, tendencies of certain pitchers, and you make a plan and you go from there. But this was kind of a, a reset moment and a – a doubling down on what their philosophy is, but a just kind of a, a nudge in the direction of, yeah, let's keep seeing a lot of pitches. Let's get on base, but let's really hone in on those big moments and let's try and build runs inning after inning and not let the opportunities with runners in scoring position uh, get away from us and also produce more of those situations. Uh, going into the all-star break, uh, the team was – um, 12th in runs per game at 4.48, 15th in on-base percentage at 314, and they were third in OPS with runners in scoring position at 805, but 15th in batting average. So kind of a situation where execution just needed to be a little bit more fine-tuned. As Adam McCalvey said it, it was a lineup with, I'll say this, potential, but not running on optimal efficiency. But save really one game in this um, six-game homestand, Things seem to be trending in a more positive direction. They do. One of the games we'll talk about, the most recent game they played, um, the the Brewers were walked a season high 10 times, which also says something about approach and about plate discipline too. Uh, I think one thing that really just can't be underestimated here too is on the offensive side, they're about as healthy as they've been for a long time. We're probably over the last couple of months, how many games have... We'll say Hunter Renfro, Willie Adamez, and Luis Arias all being there for. Tyrone Taylor obviously missed some time too. So it certainly helps to get something much closer to your best lineup in terms of hitting out there. And uh, I thought it was interesting after the final game of the series, as we'll talk about, Rowdy Tellez being interviewed on the, the YouTube broadcast. And he talked about more than most teams, the Brewers really needed the few days. And put it down to a, a pretty weird first half schedule that obviously involved multiple really, really long road trips, spending a lot of time away from home. And that was something I know we talked about in our, our pod during the break too, that there is a possibility this team will be energized by the fact that they can look forward to spending a lot more time in Milwaukee at AmFam and racking up wins as a result of that. So Definitely, I mean, some of the early evidence does show numbers are showing things that are different to how their approach to plate would be. But also, I think you're just seeing like all of their best offensive guys available. And 
We've talked about how there's a streakiness to this team and they've got multiple guys who can hit for power, who can hit home runs. And I think if we look at the, what are we, six games so far in the second half, it's like, yeah, Hunter Renfro's had his run, which has lasted almost all of those six games. Um, We've seen Rowdy Telez have his moment. Luis Arias has been hitting well. It's like they have enough guys that if everyone can be healthy, you have a good chance that game to game, someone is going to find it. Someone's going to find it and have a really nice game uh, with the bat and stay healthy. And you've got a chance to do that. So I, I think a good few different things factoring into it, but the results are certainly looking positive in the early returns. Yeah. In that same piece from McAlvey, Rowdy's comment was we were just tired. 53 games on the road, three, three city road trips. I mean, that's got to take a toll on your body and also probably well, not more importantly, but as importantly, in some cases, your mind in baseball, which is such a mental sport that can get you twisted in knots when you're not performing uh, to the highest of your capabilities. Moving on to this series, more specifically, the, the Milwaukee Brewers took on the Minnesota Twins in a two-game series. First game of the series on Tuesday brought us the return of Ethan Small. Made one start earlier in the year against the Cubs. Didn't make it out of the third inning. Uh, another tough start for Ethan Small. Um, Started off very scary leadoff homer from Byron Buxton, who is basically his batted ball profile is like, what if Keston Hero was maximized to his full <laughs> abilities and was a superhero? On base percentage under 300, slugging percentage in the mid 500. The dude came to hit for extra bases, and that's all he's going to do and play great defense and steal bases and probably get hurt because that's been the, uh, the course of his career so far. He's also so he's kind of the, the worst, if you were to draw up a worst-case scenario for like, oh, Ethan Small is back for his second start after disastrous first start. Who's he facing first? Uh, this would have been the kind of profile of what would have seemed like, oh, that could go really badly, and it did not go great. It did not. So Homer from Buxton, double from Correa, gets a strikeout in an exit bat, and then a great heads-up play from Christian Yelich on a bloop fly ball to – Left field, Yelich makes a running catch and then doubles off the runner at second base to get out of the inning. Uh, So tough start for Small, but he settles in and gets out of the first at least. Uh, In the second inning, Hunter Renfro would help him out by hitting a three-run homer. So I think that would have been his fourth homer in five games at that point. Uh, His only hit of the series, so he cooled off uh, significantly after that, but what a run it's been for, for Hunter Renfro and, and may it continue after the day off. Christian Yelich would follow that with a double to score Luis Arias. It's four one after the second inning, Uh small would struggle again in the third, allowing a run to score or two runs to score, excuse me, on a double from Juan Miranda. Uh, Luis Arias answers that in the bottom of the third with a home run to left field and small's day would end up ending after three and two thirds innings this time. So better than the first start, but again, things just kind of got away from him in terms of his command. Four hits, four walks, three earned runs, three strikeouts. Again, it really just comes down to command for Ethan Small, and it's both locating in the zone and locating or missing out of the zone. And uh, he was sent back down to Nashville after the start and just hasn't gone well for him for him to this point in the majors. And I think it really just comes down to, you have to throw strikes and also just be more precise with those strikes. 
weeks, and he just hasn't had it so far. I I don't think it was as bad, and what I do think is worth noting, and I was thinking at the time, I like pitch count was not super high. I, I think he could have gone for another while longer and maybe done okay with that, but Baron Buxton was up next, and they just could not take the risk because he just crushed both pitches he'd seen for Eaton Small. So that is that is not great when you're having to just make the move like that. It's a pity because, you know, it would have been nice to see him just go a little bit deeper into the game for his own development, for his own good. It was interesting timing-wise. David Stearns was on the Bally Sports Wisconsin broadcast while Small was pitching. And although, of course, he's not going to be throwing him under the bus, I think he was saying a lot of things of, you know, this is kind of what we expect and it is a journey and it's going to take some time. But uh, the flip side of that is Small is not the youngest of prospects. Um, I think it was BA who was also noting something that I know I hadn't given much thought to. This, the problem for, for Small is he's got two pitches and not three pitches, which really seems to tailor him more to a bullpen role if you're projecting forward, unless he can work that out relatively swiftly. Um, and the Brewers very clearly, and based on having a lot of success in Nashville, are looking at him to be a starter long-term. I wonder if at some point, and I know it is something we talked about earlier in the season and around the time of his very poor first start, if they look to bring him up later in the year and give him some opportunity in a bullpen role, and if he could be utilized much better there. Also, though, based on what we've seen with him with the Brewers, I don't know if you want to be in the mix for what could be very high leverage innings later in the season right now. Yeah, baseball savant for this season has his pitch mix as 78 fastballs, 58 changeups, four sliders. So 53% of the time throwing a fastball, 43% of the time throwing a changeup, just 3% throwing that slider. So unless he's going to be able to throw that slider more reliably, it is going to be tough to to get through order two or even three times. Uh with just throwing two pitches that's a great shout out um by you and by brian anderson the always astute adam give, McGee, the give always, brian anderson the credit on that one <laughs> and the always astute uh brian anderson uh yeah so th- i i like council's decision to not let him face buxton that third time they probably uh, lose the game if he doesn't make that decision potentially byron buxton was very scary in that game and and was was seeing the ball well out of small's hands uh, I I still have hope for Small to be a contributor to a Brewers team at some point. Whether it is in that bullpen role, we'll see. Um, who knows? I mean, you can never have too much bullpen help. Trevor got started well in replacing him. Gets Buxton get, to get out of the inning. Gets the first two batters of the next inning, and then things went awry from there. Walk, single, and then allows a home run to Gio Urshela. Makes it 6-5 there, scoring Kyle Garlick and... Juan Miranda. Every time I hear Kyle Garlic's name, uh, I just want to go start making some dinner and put some garlic in a pan. I don't know. Did you see on the scoreboards the the Brewers tidbit for his name? Did you see this? I did. Uh, They're referring to garlic as a spice, which I cannot get on board with. That is, yeah. that is one, it's just inaccurate, but two, it's a take. Yeah, I, I, I was very confused by that, uh, but I I didn't weigh in on Twitter because I, I don't tweet. Uh, Likewise. But I was like, what? I just didn't know how to wrap my mind around how Spice made its way onto the board there. But, you know, 
good for Kyle Garlic. He has an interesting name that uh, gets him talked about, which is, you know, good for him if he likes it. This was another one of those back and forth uh, show your resilience kind of games. They go down 6-5 there after being up uh, 4-1 and then 5-3, and then they're down 6-5. Colton Wong responds immediately with a home run. And then uh, this game takes kind of a turn where no one's going to do any scoring. Yandel Gustave comes in and throws a scoreless inning. Brad Boxberger comes in and throws a scoreless inning. Devin Williams comes in and throws a scoreless inning. And Josh Hader comes in and throws a scoreless inning. Uh, all, all outs not coming via the strikeout. Uh, the the uh, Twins came into that ninth inning with a really, really aggressive um, plate approach against Hader. They were just trying to get on top of fastballs and get on via hits. According to, I think, MLB game day, none of those pitches and nine pitches for Hader were in the zone. And he was making it work for him with that Twins aggressiveness and all soft contact, get out of the inning. Nice to see Hader put up a scoreless inning. At this point, we'll take all the scoreless Hader innings we can get and go from there. We get to the ninth inning. Um, the Brewers would need a run to avoid going into Manford ball, which, as we know, is the bane of my existence. I hate it. Um and Luis Arias uh, would come through after the team left the bases loaded in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, Kutch has a one-out single in the ninth. Colton Wong walks, Hunter Renfro walks, and then Luis Arias walk-off sack fly, his second walk-off uh, in, I guess, as many as five days. He had the walk-off single last Friday against the Rockies. Brewers win in a tightly contested game, 7-6, to six, and there were opportunities that they didn't come through big big within this game but when it mattered most they did two for 10 with runners in scoring position but good on your arias who had had a tough game defensively had a bad throw early did have a nice play at a certain point and then just had a really good at bat and did exactly what he needed to do didn't try to do too much drives in the winning run brewers win seven six against a, a good team second walk off in a very short space of time for Luis arias so um, good to see someone who's just very comfortable in the moment, and generally he's been very consistent with the bat of light. I just want to circle back to Hader and the none of those pitches being in the zone. Um, that to me doesn't feel as unusual as it sounds bad. I think the thing that's really kind of that underpins that in a way which given his struggles, wouldn't make Brewers fans feel comfortable is the fact that he had no strikeouts. But in a typically very good Josh Hader outing, you're going to have a lot of stuff outside the zone that he gets guys swinging at. You know, that is that is kind of his game, particularly high in the zone. That's one of his favorites. Um, you can get some stuff that moves off it. Obviously, nothing in the zone is maybe pushed that to an extreme, but I, I don't think that's as far away from what we'd look for in a typical outing if just, you know, the lack of strikeouts betrays that. But then that can also be kind of put down to, as you said, the Twins were being super aggressive and they're swinging at everything too. So I think there's like, there's multiple kind of elements going into that that make that kind of an anomaly generally. Like it's tough to just compare that to what you expect from him or what in theory an ideal inning for a pitcher would look like. Well, and I think it's now this could just be me being hopeful, but part of it could be Hater 
understanding that plate approach that he's noticing from them and making it work for him. Like he's getting these swings that pitches out of the zone. Okay. Then why am I going to come over the middle of the plate when I know you guys are selling out for quick early in the count contact, but yeah, regardless, really nice to see a, uh, a scoreless inning from hater and nice to see a win. Um, Luis Arias, uh, the walk-off King. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Game 2, Corbin Burns takes the mound against Chris Archer. And uh, this game was a little more comfortable, especially after the fourth inning. Uh, Brewers got the the scoring started off early. Rowdy Telez, who had been in a little bit of a slump, breaks out in a a bottom of the first inning after Christian Yelich reached via a walk, I believe, and that's going to be a trend. Willie Adamas singles against the shift. Rowdy Telez sends a home run into the stands to give the Brewers a 3-0 lead. Uh, Corbin Burns, a, a tough second inning, would give uh, that lead right back, or not right back, but he would uh, allow the, the Twins to tie the game. 31-pitch second inning that uh, did not end well for Burns. Uh, a Juan Miranda home run starts, thing off, th- starts things off. Nick Gordon double scores our friend Kyle Garlick, and then Gary Sanchez single to center scores Gordon. 3-3 after the second inning. I will say Burns did settle down from that point. Uh, three up, three down in the third, fourth, and the fifth, and then makes it to the sixth. Uh, overall, have a, a solid outing and a quality start from him. Six innings pitch, five hits, three runs, all of them earned. No walks, 11 strikeouts, the one homer to Miranda. Fourth inning is where the Brewers took control of this game. Um, started off with, excuse me, frog in my throat. Uh, Christian Yelich with a bases-loaded walk would score a run. Willie Adamas, sacrifice fly score Luis Arias and then that man again with his second three-run homer in the game three-run homer in the first run homer in the fourth Rowdy Telez makes it 8-3 and from that point on it was a very uh comfortable game for the Brewers Luis Arias adds a homer in the fifth to make it 10-3 uh Kyle Garlick uh the man of spice would 
add a homer in the seventh to make it 10 to four Brewers, but that would end up being the final score. The Brewers pretty much coasted to this win after that point. Jake McGee allowed the garlic homer in the seventh. Uh, Yano Gustave adds a scoreless inning, and then Peter Streslicki closes it out. Uh, a very comfortable game after that uh, second three-road homer from Rowdy Telez, and Telez has been struggling, and we continue to just believe, 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 and that's why the man's got 20 homers on the year, and we know at any point he could unleash one of these types of performances. Uh, very nearly got himself into a position to challenge his own single-game RBI record yet again. Yeah, something we talked about privately before this game, but we I don't think we ever really talked about on the pod, is that for Rowdy's recent struggles, he has been hitting the ball really hard and not getting a whole lot of luck out of it. And I think it was after game one of this series, um, you you and I discussed this privately, and I was like, you know, I think it's it's got to break his way eventually because there is some good stuff happening there. And I know he himself had spoken about feeling very good with how he's seen the ball, just feeling like he hasn't been getting as much out of it of late as he was earlier in the season. Uh, and with all of that, nice to see it click. Um, post-game, he was talking about just how well he tends to hit at Fenway. So if we could keep this going and get a little bit of a run going, that would be a lot of fun. Um, but I think part of the reason we, we have continued to believe is just because of the consistency that he has generally given across the course of the season. It's his first real slump. And even then he was still coming up with some important hits, if not necessarily kind of headline hits in the way he was earlier in the year. Um, but nice to see it click back into kind of top gear for him because he's essential to this team. Like he, he really is. Um, my confidence, Andrew, never wavers. That's that's really all, all I got to say on that one. But it's it's good to see. As I said, it's like we've got Luis Arias performing as well as he has been lately. Rowdy, Renfro, Willie Adamas. <laughs> Being Willie Adamas, really, it's kind of, it's, it's very much feast or famine. But you've got something there. Like, when you can keep those guys healthy and just go day to day and be like, okay, we've got this many chances when you look at the lineup. That hasn't been the story all season. There's been some lineups that have been really, really tough and we look at it and it's like, where is the offense going to come from? You can still get a day where all these guys are cold and it doesn't happen for you. That's sports, that's baseball, but you've got a much better chance day to day right now of seeing positive outcomes for the Brewers. And also, like I, I think... Luis Arias is just, he's getting on base a lot as well as his power. Christian Yelich, three walks in this game to go along with a hit. And he's just more often than not lived on base since moving into that leadoff spot. That's crucial. That's the key. Um, Andrew McCutcheon's been really good at that. Not quite as much yesterday, but still a good series overall. And I know there's a lot of talk and the trade deadline is getting ever nearer and there's all of the the different kind of guys people want for the Brewers. I would like a contact hitter. That's what I like because I do think the power is there more often than not. And part of the problem, as we talk about, is it's not home runs. Brewers are stacking up very well against the rest of Major League Baseball in terms of home runs. The problem is too many single shots, and that's down to you're not getting guys on. There's not guys on base enough. So if we could see, you know, 
the walks carry over being walked 10 times. I'm reluctant to give too much credit to the Brewers for that, because although it takes discipline, there was some pretty wild pitching going on at times from the twins that certainly assisted in that. But maybe that's something that just gets you in the habit and you're prepared to take a few more balls and you've seen some results that way, that would be good, but also just some more reliable contact hitting. I, I yeah. The other player too, that it's tough to get in the lineup, but I have been thinking about for a couple of series now and his, his numbers are kind of off the charts. Is Mike Brasso. I, I wonder, particularly when you see some of the stuff going on, a catcher, which again, we're going to hope we see a resolution to um, very, very soon. They need to get Mike Brasso in the lineup more. I, I think some some DA. Go on. There's a really good way to do that, um, and that's just Arias at second and him third every time there's a lefty on the mound. Because Colton Wong has not hit lefties at all this year, not at all, but he's hitting really well against right-handed pitching. You slot Brasso in at third and move uh, Arias at second pretty much every time there's a left-handed starting pitcher, and then – soon as they bring the righty reliever in, if it's late in the game, you do the swap that you like to do. And to your point, their opportunities uh, at DH as well uh, for Brasso. And I, I think that's a good shout out because he matches lefties. We've got a lot of guys on the roster that do not hit them at all. And that's just a good solution to get another above average base guy into the lineup. Brasso at third does make me a little uncomfortable from some of the outings we saw him there early in the season. It is definitely not. He's been fine since then. He pl- he played yeah. first base well the other night. He's I I much prefer him at first, but that's tough because you know unless that's a, a day where you're going to have Rowdy DH, you don't really have a spot there right now. Um, I, I'd like to I listen. I'm I'm open to trying it. I'm open to trying it, and if you get the offense going, well, you can weather some mistakes. Um, that's kind of part of the problem is when the offense is doing nothing; those things kill you. Right now. There is some offense there. We don't have to be like, oh, well, a couple of runs have scored early for the opponents. This is going to be a long night. That That's not really the case right now. Um, this, but go on. This was an interesting six-game six stretch and, and might be one that where this never happens again. But I forgot that Jace Peterson was on the IL because there were glaring issues that he would say, oh, if Jace were in this situation, things would be better. But – it will be a nice addition if uh, things surrounding the injury sound a little concerning. If he gets back and adds another bit of uh, versatility to this lineup, that would be nice, considering all the other parts of the uh, order are back and healthy. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a, a rare series where I, I wasn't like, oh, we need Jason there, except for one bad throw at third base. Yeah, uh, I I don't think we've talked about the Jace injury at all. Was that I think it might, the news might have come out just after our last um, last podcast. Um, I I don't think we're seeing Jace again this season. Let's, when Craig Council is like an end of August return would be very optimistic. You're quickly running out of road for when someone can come back and when you'd be prepared to have them come back and be able to integrate them and where there's opportunity for rehab starts and all of that. I'm, I really hope I'm wrong, but I'm not overly confident on that. Um, the the only hope we can have is that that is the only 
the only bat that misses significant time on the way in. Maybe the Brewers are are due for a, a bit of luck on that front because they did have a lot of guys miss a lot of time in the first half. But yeah, I, I'm not feeling overly confident on us seeing Jace again this season right now, but I very much hope to be proven wrong on that. And for that reason, even if it's not a another backup third baseman, versatile infielder, is obviously we're getting to the trade deadline. And there's one solution that makes sense, and that's finding an upgrade with the bat at center field. But the issue is, is every name that we're hearing the Brewers linked to are corner outfielders or a corner infielder. And uh, Andrew Benintendi going from the the uh, Royals to the Yankees was someone that had been linked to the Brewers and rumors. That wouldn't really have worked. If uh, the another name that keeps coming up is Josh Bell. And if Josh Bell was a center fielder, that would be the absolutely perfect solution. The thing I would rather – so Benintendi's gone. That's never going to happen. If they're saying defense doesn't matter, I'd rather play McCutcheon in center field and trade for Bell and DH him and have him and Rowdy share time at first and DH, but always be in the lineup. Because if you're trading for him, it can't be to get Rowdy fewer rabies. That's that's what you can't do. He would instantly instantly become the best all-around hitter in this lineup. But if you're taking Rowdy out of the lineup and not getting him every day at bats, then what are you you're really not solving doing for your, your problem? Team? You're making right. marginal improvement as opposed to major improvement. Exactly. So if they trade for Bell. I hope it's just, all right, Andrew McCutcheon, you're at the the twilight of your career. You used to be a great center fielder. Can you find it for me one more time? And then I would love to have Jonathan Davis on the roster. So late game defensive replacement, you throw Davis in there. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do at the deadline because the obvious answer is that upgrade in center, which would be a Brian Reynolds, although defensively he's having a pretty tough year. But there just aren't that many guys like that on the market. And the guys, the impact bats that aren't in the market do not fit seamlessly into this lineup, especially from a defensive perspective. So really uh, intriguing week ahead of us. Um, You know, hopefully they do something big and we're here next Tuesday night recapping it and being like, isn't this great what what they just did? We're going to have a a great uh, rest of the year talking about this guy. Uh, I do want to talk about Christian Yelich again. Uh, That on-base percentage just keeps, keeps going up 355. So he leads to qualified hitters on the Brewers this year. Just essential in that leadoff role. Um, we'll say it again, uh, a new form of greatness, a new definition of greatness. And I think he's finding it. Uh, if you watch the YouTube broadcast or follow Dominic uh, Catronio on Twitter of Bally Sports and the Locked on Brewers podcast, he made a note going into that, um, that uh, Wednesday game that Yelich has made a small swing adjustment. The leg kick is down. There's a toe tap added. He was uh, filmed when he was mic'd up talking to Carlos Correa about the toe tap. So it's a less noisy swing. looks like he's going less for power and more for just a controlled swing plane and like a better timing. And he was rewarded with opposite field extra base hits. And I've, I've read from Brewers follows on Twitter that in 2018 and 2019, one of the facets of his game was obviously he had the power. He was hitting homers. He was pulling the ball more, but also hitting the ball to the opposite field and getting extra base hits in the gaps uh, between left field and center field or down the left field line. And that opposite field approach against the twins really seemed to be paying off. Obviously he had all the walks, but then there were the, the extra base hits that 
if he just sprinkles a few of those in and keeps consistently getting on base, I mean, the the complaints about Christian Yelich's contract sh- should go away. I think they should already go away because it's not your money, fans. It's ownership's money. Who cares how much Christian Yelich makes if he's producing in the role that he's set in? And I think he's really just found a way to be product- productive for this team, and it's working right now. Yeah, just zooming out, his uh, on-base percentage is climbing. is still the worst of any season in his career. So I guess maybe that's cause for optimism, that it is going to continue to climb um, with the adjustments we're seeing. Um, but it, it does speak to something for the rest of the team that the worst on-base percentage of his career is still leading the Brewers in on-base percentage this year. That's um, not a Brewers problem, though. That's a baseball problem right now. <laughs> fair, fair. But I I have liked a lot of what we've seen from him. I mean, I, I do think he looks like a very different player. He looks like a more confident player. Um, everything he's doing is much more quiet. Again, if we're talking about things that, you know, they're not quite as showy. Early in the season, we were more hopeful of a bigger kind of splashy bounce back when there were flashes of power and he was kind of rolling off some homers in a pretty short span of time. That has died a debt and stopped it just it's not something we're really seeing from him at all but there are other guys in the roster to do that so that's that's fine like it's it's about trying to find a balance here that's going to work for the brewers and make them the best team they can be um and on this little run we're seeing kind of the optimized version of that the kind of performance that you would hope to get the rest of the season and into the postseason and you're like yeah, well, if Yali can get on reliably, you know, get guys on, and then you've got Willie coming up, you've got Rowdy, you've got Hunter Renfro, whatever it might be, you're giving yourself a chance to score runs. And it's something that when we were seeing a lot of Kelton Wong uh, lead off earlier in the season, it was just not the case. It was a waste of time. Also, someone like Colton, it's worth noting, I think he's doing better for not being in that spot too. Um, yeah. So the, that that switch is just kind of working all around for the Brewers right now, it feels like. And Yelich leading off, I think that's also why it'd be really nice to get another high on pace guy in that two hole. Then you have Rowdy at three, Kutcher, Renfro at four, slide Willie down to fifth or sixth and have his power play there with a little lower in the order. Just gives you options. Um, But yeah, another point about uh, Christian Yelich if you had the chance to watch the YouTube broadcast, and I did, but I switched the audio to Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering, you noticed Christian Yelich calling Rowdy Big Randy. Adam, you and I listened to a golf uh, podcast and YouTube series where a man whose name is not Randy is also called Big Randy. So what I'm asking, uh, so Rowdy is now Big Randy as well, according to Christian Yelich and I guess other guys on the team. Is Big Randy just going to become a nickname for people at random, even if their name is not Randy? What What's happening? I, I'm not sure. It confused me. Uh, I <laughs> I missed that tidbit. I didn't see the start of this game live. Um, so I missed that clip, and you shared it with me after the fact. And instead, I caught the YouTube broadcast calling Rowdy Randy, and I was like, they haven't got his name right? What's going on here? The guy's... Two homers, six RBI, which it turns out, no, I had just missed that. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever whatever Yelly feels works. Does, maybe is, is it possible Yelly doesn't know his name? <laughs> um, 
there was also a clip which I, I found interesting and this is the kind of thing I was thinking about it's obviously like maybe particularly when you're when you're an outfielder it's like what's the relationship between an outfielder and a starting pitcher because we saw I can't remember which twin he was talking to or no it, it was a it was a brewer and um, we were talking about the roof being closed and the effect of that and I don't know how you deal with burns in that situation and I was just like Oh, Burns, right, okay. I just found it interesting that he was, wasn't was calling him Corbin. It's like, is, does Yelly, do Yelly and Corbin ever speak? Who knows? Uh, I would, th- it would be great content for the video board at AmFam and YouTube or in Twitter or wherever you post video content. If you just, like, what does everybody call everybody is an interesting mm. thing. In hockey, it would be everybody is some form of their last name with an IE on the end or an S. Sure. So yeah. so Burns would be Burnsy in that situation. But I guess he just goes with the last name. We got Big Randy for Rowdy. Very interesting content possibilities. Before we transition to Master Brewer Leaderboard, want to talk about a few other things. So Ethan Small was sent down to AAA. Peter Strzelecki back to Milwaukee. Uh, team likely won't need a fifth starter until Saturday, August 6th. Um, so be interested to see who takes that start, whether... Hauser returns, whether it's uh, small again, whether Alexander makes another start. Uh, Adam, people miss things. I miss that Freddie Peralta's rehab was going to be really, really stretched out. Pitched two innings in his first game. They're going to bump him up by an inning each outing until he's ready to go. So I was hopeful that he would return. Doesn't look like it because of that uh, thoughtful program, I'll call it, because you don't want to rush him back too early, especially because he's going to be vital to the stretch run and the postseason. But any, any thoughts on who that Saturday game should go to. If it's not Hauser, I think might as well be Alexander or, or small for another start. Honestly, I think it's probably Alexander. Alexander is the, the much less exciting because we'd all love to see small, get another start and for it to be a really good start then. And to have that to kind of pin our hopes on. Um, but I do think they have seen more of Alexander just managing games, giving up two to three runs that are still in the game. And you get to the bullpen, you basically see how a game fares out over four innings. Um, Ethan Small so far. I mean, there's there's no harm. I'm not I'm not advocating for him not to do it, but I just think based on their process, I would be surprised if it's not Alexander again. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm. I'm thinking as well. Uh, one more bit of news. Uh, Jackson Shorio promoted from the Carolina Mudcats to the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, and he's played two games there. Four for nine, uh, a double, uh, I think uh, three singles, and a walk, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. An RBI, a stolen base. He's tearing it up already. Like, I uh, honestly, I, I am... I know the buzz is building around him in a way that is very palpable in Wisconsin, but also just seems to be going beyond that in terms of his stock as a prospect and that the Brewers like really could have something particularly special, the kind of prospect that it's been a long time since they've had. Um, what is the What is the timeline here if he just absolutely shreds it with the Timber Rattlers in the way that he did with the Mudcats. Like, will they just, will they give him the rest of the season there? And then maybe next season he'd start in Biloxi or is it possible we see him promoted again before this season is out? 
that would be my anticipation the finish the season here and then go to Biloxi next year but this guy is kind of just with his performance shattering any expectation I can have for a prospect of his age like if he performs like he did in Carolina over the second half in um, Wisconsin and then does so to start next season in Biloxi like I don't even know what kind of timelines we're operating on even the my most optimistic projection and i am no expert by any means on this but my thought was sometime in 2024 would be the best case just because in most cases organizations are patient with these guys um if you're so young and performing at such a high level the organizations just want to be careful and not rush development and i think uh we're seeing kind of the adverse effect of that with a guy like Jared Kelnick and uh, the Seattle's organization who was really pushing to come up early and people were crying uh, uh, contract or not what's uh, years of service manipulation when they didn't bring him up. Turns out he just wasn't ready. So I think uh, with younger players that are exceeding so early, it's patience is a virtue, but also like if he just keeps performing, you're not going to be able to keep him out of the big leagues because you're going to need him in your lineup. So it's a, very exciting uh, thing. Like going into this deadline, he's the one guy I would say if they trade him, you've made a huge, huge mistake. Yeah, he, he, it, it really does seem like just he should be off the table at this point, um, particularly because of just the the kind of deal where maybe you were like, oh, you know, but if you got one Soto, I mean, the thing that I think most Brewers fans are resigned to is if they got one Soto, it's for a couple of years um, where you can plan long term around someone who really could be the real deal. And I, I think that's also a factor when we talk about uh, the issues with spending and ownership. It's like getting a prospect like that. That's the game changer. That's what could open up a lot of things if the purse strings are uh, particularly tight um, with ownership. I The one thing then that I'm not informed on, and maybe you can help me, going up through the levels, to what extent do we think the the jump gets really steep. Like I would assume that maybe from the mud cats to the timber rattlers, it's not entirely shocking that he is able to sustain something very similar. And I would have thought, okay, noticeable difference when you get to the shookers, then a very noticeable difference by the time you're at the sounds. Is that fair? Or am I underestimating even the, the gap in quality that there would be between going from the mud cats to the timber rattlers? I would say high A to double A is going to be the biggest test for him. Okay. And uh, we, I think we've seen that um, just the consistency and just like stringing that together. I think we're seeing that with Joey Weimer, who had a hot start to the season, has slumped and then is figuring his way out of it. Sal Frelick, on the other hand, has <laughs> been uh, in terms of contact and getting on base is, is, found the the transition very seamless um those are older guys though so chorio coming into double a at 19 um he's going to be the youngest or on the, the younger the side way up the ladder if yeah it like. yeah and so that next transition will probably be the toughest maybe he'll slump a little bit in high a i don't see it the guy just seems to have such great contact skills right now he just puts bat to ball and gets on base um, and hits for power that that double I think in the first game 
that ball outside half of the zone and he just absolutely like slices it to the right field wall and just his ability to hit to all fields and and not feel like he has to pull everything i think it's gonna keep that average high and keep him performing um yeah just really exciting player and this is crazy but yeah i don't think i'd put him in a soto deal well i want to give my take on a soto deal in general right now i think given his age and the amount of time left on his contract it's almost insane for the Nats to it's insane for the Nats to trade him without getting 100% full value. It's also pretty insane for anyone that's not the Dodgers or the Yankees or Astros type team to trade full value for him. It's like a, a trade value that is so high that it almost makes no sense for both sides. It's just one of the weirder situations I've ever seen in baseball. And I say that especially for the team trading for him, you you have to know you're one piece away. Because look at the Angels. They have Mike Trout, Shohei, Otani. One player is not – sometimes means nothing, uh, even if he has the potential to be the best player in baseball. So I I kind of don't buy that he's getting dealt by the deadlines just because of that. Like I feel like these negotiations probably just go in circles of the Nationals asking for every meaningful prospect in your system and teams countering and then being like, okay, no deal. I don't think it's happening for the Brewers, regardless. Like, oh, definitely not happening for the Brewers. But uh, I, I understand why the dream is there. I'm used to this across different sports, but um, wasn't happening for the moment he became available. Still, don't think it's happening, and it's honestly probably less likely to be happening um, with Cheerio continuing to just be on a tear over that time. Now, be promoted, start very strongly as well. Because although that may catch the Nationals' attention, it's also, without a doubt, caught the Brewers' attention. And I'm sure they they are patient. They are, in terms of their decision-making, they, they certainly lean more conservative than bold and aggressive. And in feeling like they have a guy in the system, I could see a lot of their decision-making become even more kind of oh, we're prepared to wait. Like, we we like Joey Weimer. We like Sal Frelick as well. We can see our next team taking shape and Jackson Churio being a, at the heart of that. That may be less exciting in a splashy way for Brewers fans, but I also think it's it's really exciting if Churio does continue on this trajectory in terms of being able to track that and look ahead and be like, okay, there's a lot of things that are completely out of everyone's control because of the way this team spends and doesn't spend but here is one thing that we know is coming it's um very hard uh to project what your roster is going to look like in future years even projecting prospects out i know people are like 2024 projected yankees lineup and they're just (laughs) slotting in prospects and that never happens but it's very very easy to imagine a 2024 brewers opening day lineup that has chorio in center and one of weimer frelick and in right uh, moving on to the Master Brewer leaderboard because I talked too long about Toe Taps, Big Randy, and Jackson Chorio. Uh, adding to their leaderboard total, Luis Arias, four for six, two walks, two homers, four runs, four RBI. Back-to-back, really solid series for Arias. Rowdy Telez, two for nine, but the two homers were two three-run homers, a walk, two runs scored, six RBI. Christian Yelich might as well start getting his mail sent to first base Three for six, four walks, two doubles, two runs scored, two RBI. 
Jonathan Davis, one for two, one walk. Uh, only played in the first game, but his defense, I should have mentioned at the beginning, was absolutely incredible. Don't think we talked about it. We have three absolutely spectacular catches in game one that were really needed. It's like when you look at how did they get out of there and like Small's numbers were helped by Jonathan Davis again, just completely selling out his body, diving for catches everywhere and pulling them off. It's getting to the point where even if they upgrade at center, I want Jonathan Davis on this roster as the backup center because or center fielder. Why did I say center? Um, uh, Shaquille O'Neal is a center. Um, I want Davis on the roster as a backup center fielder and like a late game defense replacement because it seems like he's going to make every play. He's had one bad throw and an unlucky bounce as his only defensive miscues on the year. And other than that, he's been absolutely stellar. Just, uh, providing the kind of defense that you would expect from the guy he replaced on the roster and Lorenzo Cain. He's playing to that level of defense right now. Uh, Yandel Gustave, two innings pitch, no walks, only one hit allowed, no runs, two strikeouts, great back bounce back performance after a tough series against Colorado. Colton Wong on the leaderboard for the second consecutive series, three for seven, two walks, a double, a homer, four runs scored, one RBI, and Andrew McCutcheon on base in 50% of his plate appearances, three for eight, two walks. And I believe two runs scored. Um, yes, two runs scored. Leaderboard through 99 games. Rowdy that's Tlaib. it? That, that's all for Oh, the... yeah, I forgot. Sorry. Uh, Adam and I sometimes disagree on things, and then we talk them out, and then we make decisions. I probably uh, am trying to – last, last uh, podcast, I thought back to some comments we've heard from listeners about how I was too – giving with uh brew points so i suggested maybe hunter renfro didn't deserve two because he had an 0 for 4 uh game four of the series against the rockies adam uh was arguing in favor of two i was arguing against we went against uh we're in a situation here where i was arguing heavily for corbin burns adam's adam's argument was we should be more discerning I'm seeding the argument to Adam here because there's a give and take in the podcast host world. I thought Burns, despite three earned runs, earned it. Adam suggested that, you know, we got to hold him to the Corbin Burns standard. And I get that. And compromise is very important in a podcast marriage. And that's what we did. 11 strikeouts, no walks. That's excellent. Uh, I, I can't remember too many occasions where we're giving out master root points for three earned runs. I know there was some misfortune and some element of that outside of his control. Uh, I know that he massively picked up as it went on, but yeah, I think the other this thing that I struggle with here, and I'm always open to any thoughts or feedback on this, is for example, you get a game like Rowdy Tellez gets yesterday. If we're doing one master root point, that is equal to. Uh, Daniel Gustave's, you know, two innings pitched without giving up a run, you're getting the same. That would be equal to a Corbin Burns performance, which was good. I'm not for a minute saying Corbin Burns was bad, um, but is not quite at the level of what we're usually rewarding him for. So that's always something I'm trying to wrestle with, which may be unfair on a given performance. It may lead to inconsistencies week to week. But there is also you're putting a group of guys together and like Luis Arias at the top of this, two homers, a walk off, four RBI, like 
yeah, I get why he's getting it. So does a below average Corbin Burns start below Corbin Burns average to be specific? Is that equal to what Luis Arias is getting for this? Is that equal to Rowdy Tellez? This is something we talk about. Andrew will bring in context. We we argued this before we started, but I am genuinely curious. Anyone in the Discord wants to share it? Does anyone on Twitter listening share your thoughts on how you feel all this should work out? Master Brew Leaderboard is constantly evolving. We're trying to find ways to make this as fair, the best system it could possibly be. But that's that's where I came down. Very good performance from Burns. But I think tree earned runs and rewarding Corbin Burns, it's like, oh, we expect we expect better. Sure, could Hunter Renfro have helped him out and made this a no-brainer? He could, but, you know, if you're allowing the contact to begin with, that's that's something we don't always see. We saw 11 strikeouts later. You know, he, he fully locked in and he became Corbin Burns mowing guys down kind of after that point. Um, but, yeah, there's some of the... The, literally the the inside baseball. Yeah, there will be off-season discussion heading into next year about should there be a sliding scale and should there be full independent weights? review. <laughs> yeah, well, we're gonna audit it and we're gonna we're gonna come out on the other side with maybe the same old system, maybe the system with tweaks. I imagine tweaks. Uh, leaderboard through ninety-nine games. The Brewers have played ninety-nine games, Adam. It, it seems crazy. We're almost to the point. After tomorrow night, we can say sixty-two left. And 162. Rowdy Telez leads the way with 14. Corbin Burns uh, behind him with 12. Christian Yelich up to 10 thanks to his on-base skills. Andrew McCutcheon and Jace Peterson with 9. Willie Adamas with 8. Luisa Rios, Brandon Woodruff, Josh Hader at 7. Colton Wong, Hunter Renfro, Devin Williams with 6. Eric Lauer, Hobie Milner, Tyrone Taylor with 5. Aaron Ashby and Keston Hero with 4. Jonathan Davis, Victor Caratini, Jason Alexander, Freddie Peralta with 3. Trevor Gott, Brad Boxberger, Omar Narvaez, Adrian Hauser with two, Yando Gustave, Brent Suter, Luke Barker, Peter Shreslecki with one. And that brings us to looking ahead, Adam. I know this is a series that you're very much looking forward to because it's a series you haven't, uh, I guess, seen this team very much. And it's a team when you think baseball, it's a team that's fresh in your mind uh, because of how – uh, iconic their 2004 World Series was. They were the lovable losers for so long. Now they're the annoying winners <laughs> uh, from time to time. They've won quite a few World Series in the 2000s. Friday, July 29th, the Boston Red Sox are hosting the Brewers at Fenway Park. 6-10 Central start, Brandon Woodruff versus Brian Bello. Saturday, 3-10 Central start on Fox Sports 1 National Broadcast broadcast for your Brewers, Eric Lauer versus Nick Pavetta. And then Sunday, 1235 Central Start, Aaron Ashby versus Josh Winkowski. After that, three in Pittsburgh, and then return home to face the Reds for three. But yeah, looking forward to uh, watching some games at Fenway. Very excited. New experience for me. Um, By the sounds of it, possibly a new experience for a lot of Brewers in terms of playing there. Um, not somewhere that the Brewers necessarily get to see all that often. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Rowdy Telez talking excitedly about dating back to his time with Toronto, about how well he hits at Fenway. Uh, I can think of another guy who's been pretty hot lately who might be excited to go back, Hunter Renfro. Um, we we may see some, some revenge, some Renfro revenge on the agenda. Um, but yeah, very, very excited to see. And a ballpark with some 
some oddities, some idiosyncrasies, if I remember correctly, even from some of our conversations earlier in the season. I want Jonathan Davis in center field for this series. Okay. <laughs> you need good outfield defense. I like that Hunter Renfro is familiar with right field. Yelich is a pro. He'll be able to handle the wall on left. So give me the Yelich, Davis, uh, Renfro outfield for this series. All right. Very excited for that. Um, we will be watching the first game of the series. Um, on the for the mound. Um, playback. So if you want to watch along with us, watch the Brewers take on the Red Sox on Friday. That is a 6.10 p.m. Central start. You can do so. The way to do so, if you go to gspn.info, you'll see an option um, to get access to our Discord. Fill out the form. We'll get you added to the Discord. The link to join our room will be in there. You can come along. Andrew and I will be on stage. Jordan Tresky is joining us, I know. We may have Tyre Rowan drop in at some point. Um, and we always have a, a lively, fun back and forth with the chat. Um, plenty of regulars will be in there too, I'm sure. So that, that one should be a lot of fun. If you've never checked it out before, I think this is a good time. Brandon Woodruff pitching a Fenway, that seems like as good a time as any. So we'll be on playback. Again, gspn.info. Um Add your details. We'll get you added to the Discord, and you'll have access to the link. That's pretty much everything. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It's cruising for a bruising. If you like what you hear, rate and review five stars, please. Helps us to get the word out. Helps us to get more people listening. We're on Twitter at Brewers GSPN. I'm at Adam McGee Eleven. Andrew's at AC Snide. You should also subscribe to the Eurostep Podcast Network. That's where you'll get all things Milwaukee books, and you'll often hear Andrew and I over there too. And if you want to sign up to the Substack, also available through gspn.info, that's where you'll get um, Andrew's Master Brewer write-ups direct to your inbox. You can stay on top of how things are shaping up with the Master Brewer leaderboard. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.